In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the great litany that we heard this morning, one of the litanies that we pray is for this holy house and for those who enter it with faith, reverence, and the fear of God. Let us pray to the Lord. The services of the church give us almost everything that we need to understand what it is to be a Christian. And this litany gives us a lot to ponder. But unfortunately, with a lot of litanies, we hear them, and they go in one ear, and they go out the other. But this litany I would like for us to have as our theme for this homily this morning, and to break it down, to talk about what it means to be praying for this holy house and for those who enter it with faith, reverence, and the fear of God. So let's break it down. This holy house. Holiness is something set aside, something special, something that, especially in Scripture, had a sense of awe around it. This is connected to God. This is not a kind of holiness of the best piece of meat, uh, best piece of meat for dad, right? That's set aside. We're talking about something with much greater gravitas, with weight. This holy house. Unfortunately, in our world today, we don't have a lot of holy houses. We don't have a lot of holy space. If you think about in the ancient world, there was holy houses. Even if you were not Christian, almost every village would have some kind of sacred space. You can still go to Europe, Italy, Greece, Germany, and other places, even in England, if you get outside of the cities, and you can find shrines. You can find spaces where this holy house had spread out from the church, even into the public sphere, a shrine or an icon. If you drive along the roads in Greece, you can find little uh, mini churches that are set up as little shrines, and inside them you'll have an icon. You maybe even have a, a little lampada, and you know that some little yaya somewhere is coming every day and tending to that candle, to that light. There's a sense of holiness. In our contemporary context, however, St. Anne's is the sanctified holy place that has been set aside for us to gather for many miles away from us. There's, uh, unfortunately, our world, though, and us as humans, we want things that are set aside and holy. We know that especially those places that are supposed to bring out a sense of awe. Maybe when you enter into a football stadium... You get a sense of awe. You're like, wow, that's a lot of seats and it's really loud. And we're all going to form together and shout out and maybe cry together too later. (laughs) We know what holiness is. Or at least we have some ideas about holiness. But the church has us praying for this holy house. This particular holy house. And all that is within it. And unfortunately, 
we have within us a kind of, I would say, well, I'll say this for you because I have it within me, a kind of gut reaction to, and I don't know if it's the Scotch-Irish Protestant that I was raised, uh, but to immediately when somebody says church, we say, we mean the people. And that's not wrong. That is right. Scriptures speak very clearly about the church and the cornerstone is Christ and we are all the building blocks. You have the metaphor there, right? However, throughout scripture, there's always been a space set aside for God to come and be with his people. In Eden, he walked with his people. It's only after the fall that they are without hearing his footsteps, without walking with him. And that's why he puts the tabernacle with Israel. That's why he guides them. That's why he instructs them to build a temple and set aside. And not only does he tell them to build a temple, he gives them the schematics. (laughs) He gives them, you need this many people to do this. Uh, You need to set aside and find the people who can take uh, all the gold that you took from Egypt and refashion it for God's house. Uh, We need to find very nice people, uh, very nice people, (laughs) people who can embroider, who can create the curtain that was the separation to the Holy of Holies, to create the angels that were in the Holy of Holies. Not idols, not in Israel, but representations of the angelic presence that surrounds the one true God. Our sense of holiness today has kind of been individualized and privatized. Holiness is something that we talk about in regards to other people, but it can be hard for us as 21st century Americans uh, to consider spaces to be holy and set aside. Uh, And unfortunately, one of the other great strengths of American contemporary American life is that uh, cynicism or sarcasm runs very deep within us. And so if somebody even points to something, this is holy, there's even kind of a gut like, okay, how do I poke at this? How do I transgress this boundary? This is a very normal American thing. We have put holiness, uh, we've wrapped it up and we've put it somewhere else. And God, in many ways, has vanished because we don't, approach that holy house with what the rest of the litany says with faith that we come with faith with reverence which the root in the latin is a sense of awe that i was speaking of earlier and then a fear of god fear of god of course we're not talking about fear as in you know fear for my life uh everything is going to be destroyed Uh, that kind of fear. We mean a healthy sense of knowing who we are and then who God is. Because God is God. There's no one else like God. His holiness comes from his uniqueness, his position as our creator. There's no one else like God who is God who has revealed himself as God. St. Germanos of Constantinople 
at the very beginning of his commentary, the Divine Liturgy, he calls the church a he- earthly heaven. So even as I was trying to say earthly heaven, I wanted to say heavenly earth. But there's something I think important about this earthly heaven. And he goes on to say, in this earthly heaven, this is where the heavenly God dwells and moves. Think about that for just a second. You and I are in the church. We, right now, are in an earthly heaven. We are standing before the altar. That altar signifies, resembles, but in all realness, the altar of heaven. We are surrounded, truly surrounded, not by pictures, but by the heavenly hosts, by all those who have gone on before us to be saved, to gather around that throne. This is a theme throughout scripture. What happens, and this is a question directed to the children, when Moses came and God called him and he went to a bush that was on fire, what did God tell him to do? He did say, let my people go. Amen. He did. There's something before that. You're absolutely right. There's something before that. I'm being picky here. So, Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Is that what you're going to say, Ellie? No. <laughs> take off your shoes. Why did he say take off your shoes? Let's save it for the kids. Why? The ground that you're on is holy. Take off your shoes. Now, the fathers of the church, they do not, uh, as much as they would uh, commend to you to be very bodily aware of how you enter into a space, the, the message, the meaning that they get out of that is not when you enter the church, you literally need to take off your shoes. There are, uh, in the Coptic uh, and other uh, Oriental Orthodox churches, there will be churches that will take off their shoes uh, when they enter into a holy space. Uh, and still in Islam, and their understanding of a holy space, they will take off their shoes in order to enter into a mosque. The fathers encourage us to interpret the shoes as the flesh. Now, does, that does not mean they want us to come as disembodied spirits. That would be quite a challenge. What they are encouraging us to do is that when we come into the presence of God, when we understand the holiness of that space, we set aside our carnal mind. We set aside all those things that, uh, because what is a sandal made out of? What is a shoe made out of? Especially Moses' day, not necessarily today when our shoes are made out of plastic. But what were those sandals made out of? Leather. What is leather? Cowhide. What is cowhide? part of a dead animal they understood the dead animal that is around our feet to be all of the sins all of the fleshliness that we need to put aside and lay aside when we enter into the holiness of God's space God's house this space 
this house, we enter it with faith. We enter it with awe. We enter it with fear, knowing who God is. And this then affects what we actually do in this kind of a space. Because this is not our living room in which we watch television, right? This is not uh, our car where we listen to whatever the top 40 radio hits are. Um, Good luck with that. Uh, This is a very specific space. And it has uh, a hold on us. It has a demand on us. It calls us forward to acting in a different way than we normally would. A way that hopefully that this space forms us so that when we leave this space, we actually encounter the world in a transfigured and different way. So this space, this holy house, requires of us, of our bodies and of our habits, some challenges. So I have three challenges. One is time. It is a challenge for us as we assemble together in God's holy house, especially uh, if you're used to services that lasted 30 to 45 minutes. An Orthodox service takes a lot more time. And it's time that you need in the presence of God. And this calls us and requests of us one kind of a simple thing that we be on time when the services start so that we are present for the entirety of the service for God's presence. This also asks of us that our time be sacrificed not just on Sunday mornings but for all of the services of the church and we have many services of the church and we offer many feast days, liturgies, uh, times for us to gather into this particular holy house. This also issues a challenge for our bodies. Most of us are used to sitting at a desk at work. But when we come to church, we do the opposite, right? We stand and we stand and we stand. And we train our bodies in this standing for the way that we attend to and pay attention is what we do with our bodies. This is why we are engaged in the service. This is why we make the sign of the cross. This is why when we come into the presence of God, we come with reverence and awe that we are now in the presence of God. We're not outside. We're here. Our bodies, this is especially, I mean, couples know this, I think, especially well. You don't even have to say anything after a certain while of being married, right? You can just look at a person and the way that they're holding their body, and you're like, okay, something's wrong. (laughs) Or something is going well. The way that we hold our bodies communicates massive amounts, and it affects the way that we attend. For all of this, what we do with our time, what we do with our bodies, how we hold our bodies, how we venerate, how we make the sign of the cross, affects how we pay attention. Because 
this is the space out of everything in our life that we want to pay attention. God is here. He is present in this holy house. One of the other aspects of this attention then, and the challenge constantly for us, for everyone, is then possibly the most active part of our body. And that is this area right here. Our mouths, our tongues, and that is very, very easy for us as we see people, as things are happening, we notice, you know, an altar server trip and we kind of go, and we say, does the person next to us like, did you see that altar boy trip? Uh, All of this, these are opportunities for us Instead of that's a distraction. That is something that draws us away from the presence of God into something that really doesn't matter. We have to control our mouths. It's an important aspect of being in God's holy house. That silence is part and parcel of how we pay attention. Today we commemorate the New Martyrs and Confessors of Russia. And you're probably wondering how in the world am I going to connect what I've just been saying with the New Martyrs and Confessors. The New Martyrs and Confessors of Russia, a martyrdom that was greater than any of the first four centuries. There were more martyrs in the Russian church in the 20th century than the first four or five centuries. And there's a particular story I want to share with you about St. Tikhon, whose icon we have in the center analogion here this morning. St. Tikhon was elected patriarch of Russia and of Moscow, and under his rule, the Bolshevik Revolution came into its fullness, and the, church, the government was completely overthrown. Part of the ramifications of this There was famine, there was destruction, there was all sorts of needs that the country needed. And so the new government went to the church and they said, you have a lot of nice gold and silver in your church. And in fact, this was the campaigns the Bolsheviks did against the church uh, the entire time, is that basically the clergy and the church, all they really want is your money and they don't really care about you. They said, we need all these things and we demand that you give them to us so that we can feed those who are starving. Well, St. Tikhon said, all right. He then commanded the clergy, said, you can take off. If you've ever seen older icons where we have an iconostasis that has not aged with time, they'll have all of this metal around the icon, right? They started taking all of this off and melting it down and giving uh, the proceeds to the government. They continued to press. They said, we need more. And you have more. You need to give it. So St. Tegon said, okay, you can do more. But he said, the only thing that I ask is that you do not melt down any of the objects that are actually used for Holy Communion. If you have a chalice that's encrusted with jewels, you can take the jewels off, but do not destroy the form of the chalice because it is holy. It has been set aside You cannot give that up. You can imagine that the government was not satisfied with the second offering, and now they wanted more. 
And in fact, they took clergymen, priests, and deacons, and they brought them before a court. And they charged them with disobedience to the government for not surrendering all the goods that they were supposed to surrender. Specifically, the chalices, the discos, and all those accompanying the holy sacrifice. St. Tikhon is brought because he, in their mind, he's the boss. So they're going to put the boss on the stand and convict these 16 men. The line of questioning began. Patriarch Tikhon, these are your men, correct? He says, yes, these are priests and deacons of the Diocese of Moscow. You have been asked and you've, uh, to give all of all your goods, of the church goods, so that we can feed the poor. Always a question mark of whether or not that was actually what was done. And Tikhon says, yes, I commanded them. And they started t- taking parts of the icons and things that were not the icon itself, but those encrusted around it. And they have been offering it. He said, so you can basically tell them what to do. And he said, I can tell them what to do within reason that's in obedience to the gospel and the tradition of the church. He said, so they will listen to you and obey you. And he said, yes. So then we need you and you should command them to offer the chalices and the discoses for the poor, for the hungry. And Patriarch Tikhon said, I cannot bless them to offer those things that have been set aside for the house of the Lord. And they said, you know, you know that if you do not offer up these chalices, these men will die. Patriarch Tikhon stood up Sorry. (laughs) He made the sign of the cross and he blessed them to die. Because their faith, their reverence, and their fear of God would not allow them to take the holy things of God's house and melt them down for a godless government. This is reverence. This is the fear of God. And this is our holy house. This is our altar. And this chalice and this discos, which we receive the body and blood, receives all of our reverence, all of our fear of God. And we ask the prayers of those holy martyrs that we may grow in that same reverence that we may grow in that same fear of God to honor God's holy house. For one day we will see God face to face. Amen. Amen.